This is Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelics, science, and psychotherapy. Episode 15, The Dam Has Broken. Today, Brian and I have a conversation about a review of the year, a review of what we've talked about on the podcast so far, where things stand in the psychedelic movement, and the future of Altered States of Context. We have some big news that we'll share in the body of the podcast and look forward to hearing from you. In our show notes, we've given our email addresses as well, and we welcome any feedback about the show thus far or about ideas for future episodes, future directions. So please don't hesitate to reach out and communicate with us as well. Please feel free, as always, to like, share, and review our podcast so that we can continue to broaden and deepen this conversation with others. Additionally, before we start, I wanted to make a quick point. Later in the show, I'll refer to Compass Pathways, a corporation that I refer to as being valued at about $2 billion. Uh, When I said that, I had just read something and I thought that was right, but after I was editing it and thinking about it. I had to look it up because I wanted to make sure and I think it's worth more like one billion so I was only off by about a billion bucks but still I think the point I was making stands but just know that when you're listening to the episode the number I gave is incorrect. want to make sure you're informed. Thanks for listening. We've been really tickled, humbled, pleased, excited, insert descriptor here about the reception podcast has received so far we're just thrilled that you're out there listening and would love to hear more from you so enjoy the show thanks all right hey brian Hey, Nate. So I just got some news. It turns out our sponsors have renewed us for a season two of Altered States of Context. How about that? That's amazing. Did we get a, a, a raise? Uh, I think we did. Um, I think so. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. We didn't sort out the details of all of that. Um, but certainly it's very lucrative. I've got my eyes on a new red Corvette and, you know, uh, obviously podcasting is a way to make a lot of money. And are um, you a red Corvette kind of guy by the summer? (laughs) Are you a red Corvette (laughs) kind of guy? Oh, totally. That doesn't, that doesn't just scream my personality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know. Some people have idiosyncratic tastes in cars, you know? So, uh, that's true. (laughs) I'm like a 1994 Ford 150 kind of guy. I don't have one because they eat mm. gas, but I just like those. I've only driven two vehicles in my life, or owned two vehicles, and they were both gray Ford Rangers. Mm. I grew up driving a Ford Ranger. So Stick I don't know ship. what that says about me, but oh, you yeah, you had you did the real deal. Yeah, that was the car. That was the truck. One of the vehicles I learned on was a. Um, it was like a 1992 kind of beat up Ford Ranger. Nice. 
Well, I, so what, I, I would guess oh, people aren't tuning in to hear us t- 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 talk about cars. Um, maybe we could switch and, and talk about uh, drugs and psychedelics and uh, talk about our mix. year. Shouldn't mix those two, by the way. Yes, Motor vehicles very important and safety drugs. disclaimer. Don't, don't, don't mix them. Um, yeah. Use drug money to buy vehicles, but don't actually <laughs> mix the use of them together. So, Thank you. Always saving lives. So if we're renewed for season two, what that implies is that this is the end of season one. And we are going to wrap today. We're going to kind of wrap up what we've talked about this season. And then we're going to take a break over the holidays and into probably, I'm not exactly sure, but around probably February sometime we'll we'll release episodes. We already have some guests scheduled that we're going to be recording over the break. So we're going to keep making it. This is not an indefinite hiatus by any means. We're just going to take a short break and then season two will start, you know, later in the winter. Yeah. And so we thought we'd take some time today just to kind of reflect on um, what we've talked about so far in this podcast. And also just to reflect on where we're at right now in terms of the psychedelic movement, you know, things happen so quickly uh, right now in terms of the pace of advancements and changes to legal status. Uh, it's it's always nice to just take a pause and, and kind of take in what's happening right now and also maybe to think about what's next. Like what can we expect in the, in the coming year um, as, as things progress? Yeah, I think that, you know, even since we've started making this podcast, which I think our first episodes came out in, I think it was June, but we'd been working on it for almost a year uh, at that point, just kind of figuring things out and learning how to do it and recording some episodes. So just in the, let's say over a year since we've been working on it, the landscape has changed pretty dramatically, even in the last few months. Uh, one thing I've noticed, curious to hear your thoughts on it, is I, I feel like there's a real shift happening sort of in the um, psychedelic zeitgeist, I guess, um, from like scientific research and like, Hey, we need to show that these things work to so feel like a, there's a lot of conversation about like, how do we get this out to lots of people in the next couple of years? Like a shift from sort of theoretical to like, wow, we need to logistically figure out how to do this. Like this is happening. How do we gear up for it? Yeah. And I'm seeing that in my home state of Oregon where mm-hmm. the uh, Oregon health authority and their psilocybin advisory board, um, members are furiously working to figure all this out and and answer that very question. How do we provide this type of new treatment, psilocybin treatment in this case, to as many people who could benefit from it as possible in a way that's also safe and cautious? That's that's a very, very um, big lift. That That's a really giant task. And there's there's a lot of you know, questions and, and decisions that need to be made. I, you know, I think one, one big change in the zeitgeist that's occurred, and we did an episode on this um, uh, last month or so, uh, has been on more and more people uh, talking about the risk for abuse in psychedelic treatment. Uh, more people coming out with allegations of experiences of abuse, whether that be with an underground guide or a retreat. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a new website, uh, I think it's called Psychedelic Survivors, where it's meant Mm -hmm. to be a a safe place for people to share their stories and um, to to, to bring this more out in the open and 
you know, obviously help prevent these sorts of um, really unfortunate um, and harmful and traumatic experiences from happening. Yes. You know, and on that front, I also want to share, um, I've been listening to, you know, uh, spread the podcast love a little bit. It's uh, called um, Cover Story. Uh, it's by New York uh, Magazine. It's a podcast sponsored by them that they put on with Symposia, which is sort of a psychedelic news um, organization. And it's a series of podcasts. It's, it's an investigative series um, on uh, abuse, especially so far, at least in, you know, uh, underground psychedelic assisted therapy um, venues. And it's riveting listening. It's riveting. It's a, it's really well produced, really well done. And it's riveting. And it's also infuriating. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff that needs to come out. It needs to um, be heard. It needs to be known. It needs to be planned for, accounted for, you know, and mitigated against. Um, but I highly recommend that. It's, I, there's three. I don't know. I have no idea how long the series is. I, I think it's a limited series. Uh, they have three episodes out now, but it's, it's very, very good. You know, what other, what other thinking of back over the past year, you know, what, what, uh, what, what else have you seen or what's st- stuck out to you, Nate, as changes or developments in, in the psychedelic space uh, or the field of psychedelic assisted therapy? Well, I guess kind of coming back to, you know, the initial thing and just kind of maybe digging into that a little more, which is just that, uh, you know, in a way it's on the cusp of inventing a new industry um you know that's kind of kind of like within the field of mental health and psychology but not completely uh it's also uh integrating a lot of knowledge from throughout time and space and um you know there's never there's a scene that's been underground that never really left and trying to create something within a legal framework and within a capitalist framework that is extremely hungry to make money off of this. Like, boy, that's gearing up. That's the, I mean, I think in some ways that's the big story of the last couple of years from my point of view is how is that going to play out? You know, how is the, um, you know, who is going to hold the power in this industry? And um, there is, you can kind of see, and this would be, I think, typical for how a lot of things go sadly in our culture is, you know, there's this, uh, you know, I worry about this collusion between um, big financial interests and uh, regulatory capture, you know, so that the basically the laws that are going to end up written are going to favor pretty consolidated model for how psychedelic should be distributed. Um, and like a corporate consolidated model. And so I think that's the big fear. And I think that there is reason to um, be concerned. You know, there's, I mean, that's pretty clearly, pretty clearly what's happening. I'm not saying that's pretty clearly a foregone conclusion, but it's pretty clearly the pieces are coming into place for that to happen. And so I think that's, to me, that's the big story, you know, of the, of, of the last couple of years is um, the, the struggle between uh, corporatizing this and sort of fitting it into a profitable medical model in which we have a pharmaceutical, like a, you know, like we're replaying the pharmaceutical industries playbook, you know, versus a more, I don't know what word you want to use a more democratic distribution of this. So obviously you could 
tell by the way I'm describing it where, where I land on that. But um, I think it's definitely going to be an issue that only comes to a head even more. Yeah. That it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out. And yeah, there's several companies that are, you know, trading on the stock exchange, you know, worth millions of dollars. No, no, no. Um, billions. Compass Pathways valuation is, like, is like almost $2 yes. billion, dollars, which is freaking nuts. Yeah. That's crazy to me. And like, they don't really – It's still against the I, law. <laughs> they, right. Exactly. They, they don't have a product yet. Like they're, they're, re, they're doing their research and stuff, but they actually – you know, so there is this expectation that as psychedelics become a legal treatment that, yes, this is a whole new market that is going to develop. And $2 billion uh, you've got, you've got equals two. political power in our country, right? Like oh, yeah. It, it equals significant political power. And so as these laws are all going to be written from scratch over the next few years, you know, you're going to have lobbyists lining up representing the interests of the a multi-billion dollar industry that, you know, might not have the same intentions that, you know, you or I would have. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, another exciting development that I, I think is, is positive news uh, is the amount of research that is currently being conducted and is going to be mm-hmm. conducted on psychedelics. Um, the NIH recently uh, opened up funding from federal, uh, you know, federal sources of revenue, which is a big source of how medicine advances. Um, so that's a big deal that, you know, previously the NIH said, we are not going to fund any research on a schedule one substance. And since then have changed their mind. And that's one reason why maps took so long for their studies is because they relied on private donors. So they could only go as fast as the money they could recruit. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, the NIH is holding a workshop in early January on how to do a clinical trial in psychedelics. Um, wow, which I'm signed up for. I'm going to attend part of it, uh, and it's it's free for for researchers. So they're you know they're they're mobilizing pe- researchers to do this work. And there's a website uh, clinicaltrials.gov where you can put in you know a keyword or a search term, and and any clinical trial that's going on has to register. Um, so you can get a sense of what's happening. And I just put in a keyword psilocybin and currently 77 trials are either active, actively underway or are recruiting and are about to start. And this includes everything from, um, alcohol use disorder to Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, bipolar disorder, um, depression, amphetamine related disorders, anorexia, uh, body dysmorphic disorder, um, grief, uh, migraines, fibromyalgia, and cancer. Um, so we're going to see, I think, in the next, you know, these studies will take years. Uh, this is not something that will all come out next year, but we are going to see a real explosion of topic areas, right, where uh, these studies will help us really understand uh, in a more thorough way what, what conditions are uh, best, you know, most appropriate for this type of treatment? Wow. So the dam has broken. You know, the dam has broken. It's This is, you know, what started as a trickle. It, it was just the barest of trickle, 
even 15 years ago, it was just a trickle, you know, it really gathered tributaries and is now really, really ripping. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy to see. I bet you didn't think five years ago that you'd be attending a NIH meeting on how to conduct psychedelic research. I, I, I'm sure that five years ago, that wasn't on your like radar of like, this could be what I'll be doing in five years. Yes, not at all. <laughs> yeah, the, the speed, the velocity is is kind of staggering right now. It's 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 coming right, and that's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning. It's there's really been this shift from wow, hey, there's this thing that that might happen, and it's really you know people are starting to talk about it, and you know you got to put it on your radar to like this is happening. It's time to get on the bus. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was an interview with Ben Sasa where. He said something to the degree, and I, I, I'm just my memory not be may not be exact here, but something to the degree of, you know, if your institution is not doing psychedelic research, you're going to be behind. Like his sense was that this is this is going to be the new thing, and where a lot of, you know, NIH kind of goes through these um, cycles where there's like a hot topic to be researched. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things that they're very interested in. And so, you know, it, it might be that they will decide to devote a serious amount of their funds to psychedelic research and, and that will just continue to push it forward um, and help us, again, better understand all of the ways that this might be applied to help mm-hmm. helping reducing suffering. And both what's exciting about that list to me, too, is it's not just mental health conditions, yeah. but, you know, there's they're starting to look at that medical conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, there's a lot of questions that just popped in my head at once. Um, you know, one of which is, so we see this, like the train is leaving the station. I think I'm mixing my mess metaphors here, talking about buses and trains and rivers, whatever it's flowing. It's all happening. That's my point. <laughs> but like, <laughs> What, how do we fuck this up, right? Like, so like, let's think for a second about like, what are, how are ways that we can fuck this up? We already talked about once is that we end up with this giant corporate takeover that, you know, charges ape loads of money to do something in a proprietary fashion. And uh, the clinics are all owned by um, a few giant organizations. And um, I think that's one way we can fuck this up. Um, What are other ways that this can get fucked up for lack of a better word? That's just the word. Yeah, I I think it's a great question you asked, Nate. I don't, you know, one could say, oh, why are you being so pessimistic? Why do we need to talk about this? But it is something that people talk about and worry about, and and with good with good cause because of what happened in the past, right? We this the the, the first psychedelic movement was stopped, and so there is a uh, a grounding, you know, the the sphere is grounded in in the, in that history. And I think it's good to anticipate what could what could get in the way, so that we can potentially problem solve around it. I think you know my one of my concerns is that there are serious adverse events that occur as the treatment is being mm-hmm. disseminated, and you know if we look at the way our culture is currently set up, you know alcohol is a freely available beverage to anybody who's over twenty one. You don't need to prove you know how to use it. You can go purchase it and misuse it and and cause harm to yourself all the way up to death or cause harm to others. And it's part of the, the – the, we just accept that as part of our culture, right? And so if some people start 
having really serious adverse events where they use psilocybin, let's say, mm-hmm. in an uncontrolled setting, um, where you know maybe the facilitator doesn't do a good job of managing the situation and they get out and they hurt themselves uh, or they have a serious injury or fatality, you know that those sorts of stories. My my worry is that that will be just in the same way it was kind of distorted and exaggerated the first time around, like that the, you know, maybe the far right or uh, more conservative um, media might really grab onto those things and exaggerate the risks and get us right back into that stigma and, uh, you know, war on drugs kind of mentality. So, you know, right now the public attitude seems to be supportive of that, which is good. So maybe that wouldn't work these days. Maybe that kind of fear campaign wouldn't work, but that is something that I think is a possibility. Yeah, that's so. That's sort of the like something just kind of yeah. Though the you know reinvigoration of the war on drugs and sort of like putting a stop, putting the brakes on. You know, that's an outcome I worry less about because in a way, um, abusing metaphors again, like. I said, I feel like the train has left the station and it's going to be very hard to stop. I don't worry as much about it being stopped. I worry more about it being co-opted. This is, this is much more what I worry about co-opted by, uh, not necessarily benevolent forces. Um, that would be sort of like the corporatization of it. Um, then that's something that really worries me. I, I just think access is important. And I think not having a single vision for how it's implemented is important. I don't want a monolithic, sort of idea of this is how it has to be done because, um, well, for a lot of reasons, namely who gets to say that. (laughs) Um, And even more than um, fearing like a corporate takeover, it's also like, you know, in some ways I feel like psychedelics don't create outcomes. They create possibilities. And, those possibilities are shaped by the contexts that we develop to hold them. So when we, um, you know, so what I mean by that is like, okay, psychedelic therapy, we're building kind of a container here for, you know, with people who are having psychological struggles, this is the sort of support we're building in. This is kind of what we're putting attention to, you know, another, like right now there are um, contexts and containers such as like raves or concerts that hold a lot of experiences And those, whatever that container is, you know, whatever those contexts are, go a very long way towards shaping, you know, the outcomes that will come. Like the the psychedelics, I feel like can remove a lot of, uh, or or at least disable a lot of old programming and enable a lot of new possibilities. But the context in which they, you know, the experience occurs goes a long way to determining what that will be. And so the context we create as a culture are going to matter a whole lot. And I, I think I worry about, you know, well, what context are we going to create? Are we going to create uh, context for, you know, d- democracy and human flourishing? There's a, I haven't read the whole paper yet. I'm really excited to, but there's a neat paper here um, uh, written by Brian Pace and Nasha Dovino. Devino, I don't know how to say her last name. I've only read it. Um, it's called right wing psychedelia case studies in cultural plasticity and political pluripotency. And I've started it. I am very looking, much looking forward to finishing the paper because, um, 
I haven't had time yet, but it's, it starts very, very interestingly. And, you know, I think they're making that point is that, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of assumptions that, you know, the values that um, will spring forth from psychedelic experience are really going to be pro human and pro environment. Um, but not necessarily. I mean, the psychedelic experience can be co-opted for a lot of different visions, depending on the context in which you, uh, in which it's used. And I think we need to understand that better. And so I guess that's just, uh, you know, emphasizing that I think the context that we build matters and we need to put a lot of, a lot of emphasis into building pro-social contexts for use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that, that reminds me of an article in Vice called The False Promise of Psychedelic Utopia, where it's, you know, similar kind of thesis, right? That there's a, many examples in that article of uh, psychedelics being associated with, you know, right-wing authoritarian viewpoints. And it challenges this idea that that is part of the psychedelic community wh- where if, you know, if we all just kind of trip together and, you know, connect and have these experiences, it'll improve our culture naturally. It will lead to a more, you know, set of liberal values or um, more humanistic uh, values in our culture, less materialism and so forth. And, you know, it is super interesting. There there was a a study that was just published where there is data to show that um, uh, in this this particular study that um, psychedelics did change people's beliefs from less materialistic uh, you know, materialistic to less materialistic, for example. Um, so like at an individual level, you do see these changes. Uh, but like you said, there's, I totally, I, I think that is a um, piece of the puzzle that isn't maybe talked about enough or people don't think about that, you know, psychedelics can be used um, by, you know, people for from all different kinds of worldviews and viewpoints. And it sort of reminds me of, you know, I'm, I I don't want to speak in a tradition that I don't, that that I'm not steeped in. Um, But, you know, my understanding is that in uh, some more indigenous cultures where um, you had uh, medicine, men and women or shamans, um, there were kind of light and dark shamans. There were kind Mm. of good shamans that were associated with healing and growth. And there were shamans who were associated with, um, you know, evil or, or, or harming others or manipulating and controlling. So it's something that we don't maybe think about as much, um, but is, is I think part of what um, is likely to happen to some degree as simply a matter of more people having access to psychedelics and doing them. Yes. Again, I'm, I'm going to just say again, listen to the cover story podcast about this. I mean, that's very, that what you just said is extremely relevant. It's a, it's a, it's a riveting listen. So since we won't have episodes for the last six weeks, you can kind of free up a little bit of your listening time. Why? But we're on a break and, and it's a great, like it talks about exactly what you're saying. And, you know, we all saw images of the, um, well, who became known as the QAnon shaman in the January 6th raid on mm-hmm. the Capitol, you know, and that guy was a, you know, self-styled shaman. And so, you know, it's, um, I'm curious. There's a, I, I, I'm not saying I don't think at this point, like maybe, right. Like in a deep psychedelic experience, like someone has that, you know, and they're just free to have their own experience. There might be some universal values that do emerge from that, right? But I, 
you know, like without being injected in by the context or injected in by someone else. Like, I don't know, maybe. Um, but I do think that the con, uh, the context is so influential and people are so suggestible, you know, that, um, you know, in any direction, right? Like, I don't know, like, I'm not saying that, you know, it's necessarily okay to, you know, pump someone full of, uh, left wing values. You know, I'm not saying we need to build context that only support the way I feel about things. I mean, I think we need to build context that respect people's autonomy and, you know, what does that look like? Um, and what are the risks of, uh, of how we facilitate, you know, autonomy is of the utmost importance to me. And I think, you know, when we talk about this in the context that you and I usually talk about this, healing is, you know, and that there's not necessarily a, a value attached to that other than the value of healing from pain, you know. Um, and um, I just think it takes a lot of thought. And I think we really need to examine a lot of the assumptions, you know, even uh, to tie in a comment I wanted to make earlier when you were talking about all of the research that's happening right now, you know, and talking about uh, all of these different conditions, this condition, that condition, you know, uh, depression, anorexia, medical conditions. Um, and that's great. I mean, I, that's awesome. Personally, it's, I'm a, I'm a heck of a lot less interested uh, in the conditions and more interested in the, what we might call a theory of change or mechanism of change or like what's happening to help people, change their perspective, change their lives, change their experience. Cause I think that's going to transcend whatever category we're talking about pretty much. Um, and that's the research I'd like to see. Um, but even the assumptions that we make when, you know, the assumptions researchers are, are, are going to make going into this, like, you know, what are they assuming about what's happening? You know, because that's going to inform how they do their research, right? Like, and then these, these assumptions aren't necessarily scientific ones. They're just assumptions. And, I guess from the bottom up, think that there's just so much room here to head off in directions that are maybe not the most conducive to autonomy and human flourishing, at least not optimal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. You know, we, we try to be balanced here. Um, I know, you know, Nate and I, you know, even in our private conversations, we try to you know, not get um, swayed in one extreme or the other. And I think it is easy to get swept up in all of the good news and, and to get excited, which is totally okay. And I am excited. And, um, you know, I think this is going to be really great to, to help people. Um, but, you know, we do want to acknowledge the, the, the shadow or the darker side of things and, uh, you know, be able to, to track the whole picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to throw cold water on the whole the whole thing because I'm overall very excited, and I think it's really wonderful that um, hopefully we are dismantling prohibition. Um, hopefully, um, but you know, again, that's not everyone's agenda. <laughs> dismantling prohibition is not everyone's agenda, and it's very, very much my agenda, as anybody who listens to me knows. Um, but it's not necessarily the uh, agenda of, you know, someone who's trying to sell, uh, you know, pharmaceutical grade psilocybin. That's, I think most of that they could probably give a damn about ending prohibition. So they're not, you know, that's a, a uncomfortable ally to the point where I'm not sure that that's actually an ally. But, um, but yeah, I keep, I keep coming back to that. I think I'm kind of preoccupied with this idea of like, it feels a little bit like, I guess, just sharing my personal experience here. It's seeing this, this really 
become mainstream. And it's something that's been really important and really precious to me for a very, very long time. And mm -hmm. to see it mainstream is mixed. I'm having a, like, a, like, I'm really excited, but I'm also like, when you see blatant power grabs, it, it's painful. It hurts. It's like, Hey, who the fuck do you think you are? You know, like mm -hmm. that's not yours to take. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why, I mean, that's why I'm talking about it today. And that's why I think I'm a little bit preoccupied with that right now, because um, <laughs> maybe it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's just sort of a, a mixed feeling to, to see that happen. And I hope that a lot of care uh, and a lot of thought is being taken. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. I think, uh, you know, that's why we're working is at what we're doing to sort of deepen the conversation, to bring more people into the conversation, to make sure that people sort of are aware, you know, of the issues that are at stake here uh, and to become involved. Ultimately, you know, I think the more people who are involved and understand the better. Um, so that's that, that, I mean, to me, that's why I'm doing this show with you. Um, that and it's fun. It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, one thing I, I feel like I want to add to that is that concern I have, if we're going to list them all out, is <clears throat> that the, the origins of psychedelic healing will be forgotten, um, whether that is the underground community or that is the, more importantly, I think the cultures that these um, medicines have been uh, traditionally practiced in and were disrupted or taken away from uh, many different peoples. There's many examples of this. Uh, and so I can imagine, you know, your experience uh, of watching something from the underground go above ground and then being co-opted, like imagine putting myself in the shoes of somebody from a, a culture where they weren't allowed to practice their, their medicine because we came in and we took it away from them or we put them in prison. Um, and my hope is that, you know, there is a lot of voices within the psychedelic community that really want to not repeat systems of oppression and, and get, you know, do, do a better job of not, you know, making sure that this treatment just doesn't go to, you know, rich white people kind of, which is where that's where most of mental health care goes to people who can afford it. Mm -hmm. So in Oregon, you know, a big piece of the, the board um, is focused on equity and uh, making sure that people have access to this and that costs are low and that it's not overly medicalized in a way that turns off um, a certain um, proportion of the population. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my hope is that, 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 that theme or that um, those ideas grow and don't get overshadowed by the more kind of corporate medicalized uh, profit um, version of, of, uh, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy. Absolutely. You know, and that, that, that problem of access is one that we'll, I'm sure talk about more, you know, in season two, you know, all of these things I think we'll talk about more in season two, but you know, even if you don't have a corporation with a patent skimming a ton of money, it's still super expensive. Like if you do just the MAPS protocol, right? Like you have three prep sessions, a medicine session, 
three, three integration sessions, a medicine session, three integration sessions, a medicine session. Like you do three rounds of that. The labor on that is so much money, right? You've got two therapists for every medicine session, you know, a full eight hour day. And you've got, you know, the, the therapy in between sessions. It's like that ends up, I mean, I think I've seen estimates in it, my own back of the napkin, figuring out like how much that, like, I mean, we're talking 10 to $15,000 for a treatment using that protocol. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's especially a lot of money, you know, if insurance companies aren't paying for it, um, which I don't know how that'll work or with like, I mean, so it's like somebody wants to come get treatment. It's like most people aren't going to have. Twelve. I mean, not, but a, a very large number of people aren't going to have $12,500 or whatever to just plunk down. Um, but yet the people who are conducting the therapy obviously have to make a living. And so, you know, this is a pretty significant problem. Um, and I think it's why, you know, it's why I personally I've been a, am, am excited to see, and I'm a big advocate of group models because I think that's a great way to bring the cost down. And personally, I also think it's probably clinically really, really good. Um, but I think we need to really think creatively about that. The two therapists, one participant model, um, which I think is, is good for research is going to be tough to implement on a mass scale. Very, very tough. Well, Nate, it's been a, a really great year working with you. Uh, this has been a really meaningful part of my, my, you know, professional life or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, I think for me, what's most meaningful about it is being able to help spread information or uh, being able to help inspire or encourage people to get involved. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one, one of the things that when we talked about doing this podcast was, you know, when we talk about like, why would we do this and who would it be for? For me, there, there just seems to be such a, a need for people to find out what this is all about. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of folks who are just um, coming to this area for the first time. So I really value building community and building connection. Um, and really for me, that's what feels most important about this is that we're, we're building a committee community together of therapists or mental health professionals or, or just people that are, are committed to doing this work with integrity and with, ethics and uh with you know a degree of thoughtfulness and i know that you you always stand out to me as you know a role model as somebody who who lives that out and who is able to talk about psychedelics in a way that's very respectful and balanced and but also exciting i think you know you uh, you, you know, you really got me excited about psychedelics in, in a current period of my life when, you know, you started, we started talking. Uh, I was, I was sort of disconnected a bit from psychedelics after many years and your enthusiasm and your, your passion is just so contagious. So it's, it's really been fun to spend this time with you. And I really want to appreciate the audience too, for those of you listening, uh, thanks for spending time with us. Um, and we would love to hear from you as well about ideas that you have for future episodes or any interaction. Um, any feedback is, is welcome. Oh, thanks, Brian. That was nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I actually like, I really want to hear from people too. let us know. We'll, I mean, we're planning the next season. So, um, yeah, feedback, things you'd love to hear us talk about things you'd like to hear, 
hopefully we are trying to build a community around this and we are trying to, yeah, again, broaden and deepen this conversation because I think the broader and the deeper it is, the more resilient, uh, you know, this movement becomes to, you know, being co-opted or stopped or, um, or just used non-optimally, you know, like I think there's an opportunity here to impact people really positively and, the best way to not squander it is to be as involved as possible. Um, and so hopefully if you're, if you're new to it or just on the fringes of it, you know, we're, we're really trying to bring people in. Hopefully we can be entertaining. Brian, it's been one of the best things again to echo you in my professional life, working with you this year, I am alone in private practice here. And so sometimes I can feel a bit isolated. So the, the, the fact that we've had a chance to, touch in every couple of weeks and stay really connected has been really important to me. And it's just been great fun learning from you and having these conversations. So I appreciate that. I hope to hear from all of you. One other thing I want to add to, I'm going to do uh, you know, part of doing podcasts like this and is becoming more comfortable self-promotion. Um, you know, in the interim, I also want to mention if anybody's listening, I, I started a newsletter weekly. It's called tripping with Nate trippingwithnate.substack.com. If you're interested in, you know, following along with that, I write a weekly post as well. Um, and it's free to sign up for at the moment. So you can just um, sign up for that if you want to get, you know, some supplemental um, information as we go along here. So yeah, I think that that is a season, 15 episodes. Um, it's uh, exceeded my expectations. Uh, it's been really great. Yeah, mine too. It's been it's been a great year, and we are excited to begin our next season next year. So definitely look for us in the spring. And yeah, again, feel free to reach out to us. But otherwise, uh, hope you all have a great holiday and uh, happy new year. And we'll look forward to seeing you next year. All right. you're still listening how dope is this music shout out to dr dennis turch for making this for us uh, at the start of the podcast we loved being able to use this soundtrack it's just fantastic music dennis turch